Hey, uh, so anyways, uh, Al, uh, come here for a second real quick. This is my, uh, this is my soul brother right here. Um, we uh, probably met in like 2009, I want to say, but um, some of you probably heard the story you have or whatever, but Al uh, and I uh, got sent with two real lineal people. We're not real lineal, if you hadn't figured that out. Um, we're more abstract. We're kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky, love people and see what happens kind of people. And that uh, we got sent with two real lineal people to go uh, do a recon trip on a mission in Haiti, in the very middle of Haiti, where the church was ready to either give it up or do it right. And about a couple days before the trip was to happen, um, the lineal people with the clipboards and the surveys and all of the real, you know, fi fact-finding people, they couldn't go. And so the church was a little sketchy on sending me and Al. But, uh, <laughs> but it worked out perfect. Al and I were standing in the middle of absolutely nowhere in Haiti with Pastor Alexis. And all of a sudden, these Pradas and all these fancy vehicles, it was on a holiday. They all come in the middle of nowhere and asking us where the reservoir was. And we told them and we found that we got to meet them. And they were all the government officials of Haiti at the time. God brought all of those to our path. And that was the beginning of it. I have a napkin still, Al, that, that first trip, we, Al was like writing up after, you know, we were on the compound. Man, I just think God wants to do this and this and this would make this all work. And so now, how many years later? Is it, it was 09, so it's like 10 years later. Uh, when the last trip I went back to Haiti, um, I just looked at the napkin and saw that God had fulfilled all of that. And now we're working on another napkin in Patimi and another napkin in St. Michelle and so on. And so, uh, anyways, those you don't know, we do have a, a tight connection with Haiti. And we have property. Al and I own property in Haiti. And uh, last time I was there, the, the lawn service, you were letting it go a little bit. They yeah, didn't bring the, the goats. The goats are we need some new goats to kind of do our lawn service, all right? So just yeah. let them know. All right. All right. You're, you're the, I'll be there next that's week. That's your job, so, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, you are going next week? Yeah. Oh, good. All right. So, so uh, my son-in-law, JJ, actually, um, right back there with the camera, he actually works for Missionary Flights International. So we can go anytime we want, flying right out of Fort Pierce, right into Haiti. Uh, man, we'll have the trucks waiting for you. We'll take a nice three-hour ride from Cap Isia all the way down up into the mountains, into the center of Haiti, and you will be a Haitian by the time you get there. You will lose all your Americanness if you ride in the back of the truck with me. If you ride inside the truck, you'll lose way more than your Americanness. All right, but on the back of the truck, dude, it's an awesome ride. You see the beauty of the people, the country, everything. And by the time we get in the middle, and as soon as we get into Debuchet or we get into Patimi, we get there, I guarantee you, if you're on the back of the truck with me, there will be no less than three giant, well, three loving Haitian ladies with giant hearts waiting to grab you. And I don't care how big or small you are, they will pick you up off the ground and shake everything out of you in love. And so I'm telling you, it's not something that we have to, you know, make an official trip or we have to do anything for. Um, and, and in fact, I say on the first trip, you go there and you make friends with these same people who are our family. And when you, you make friends and you become part of that family, then God begins to work in your heart and show you how you can serve, how you can be served, how, what you can do and what you can receive and all of that in the family. Then you really know and you're not just bringing junk for Jesus. But I say first trip because almost nobody goes one time and then, don't go, then they don't go again. It's always, how long have you been going, man? I mean, how, you just go. You're going by yourself this time, right? 
Uh, I got a couple pastors going. Uh, okay, all right. So yeah, if a couple, anybody wants to go next week with him, man, just talk to him. It's not anything super official. We can go anytime we want. We have family. We have property. We have a place to stay. We have people that would love for us to come, and probably the most valuable thing you have to offer them is yourself. Literally, yourself is more, you come in as more valuable than any trinket, any thing, any project you can do. And uh, you come in, man, and, and it's just an awesome thing for the, in the kingdom. And you, uh, you come out getting way more than anything you ever brought into it. In fact, you kind of really would like to stay there, wouldn't you? Oh, you know, God but does. When God, when God does. So I might get fired next week. Yeah. <laughs> and Either live with you or live over there. That's <laughs> it, bro. You can live both places, man. It's all good. I'll tell my wife later. All right. All right, all right man. Love you, brother. Thank but you. Uh, So I was going to be saying it. But anyways, so if you ever do want to go to Haiti, like uh, some of our snowbirds from – you can sit down, man. That's good. Thanks. <laughs> he was kind of looking out. Give me that look. Like, all right. Um, some of our snowbirds uh, from Wisconsin, uh, there's a whole bunch of them that come in the wintertime. Uh, I got Captain Mac working on uh, a Wisconsin trip. And, and so a lot of folks that even come seasonal, you know, that kind of looked at this as their Florida trip, you know, now they're kind of seeing this Florida trip as their Florida mission trip, that they're the only ones who can really reach the folks in the condos. That's where they live. That's their purpose for being here. But they're going to work. They're going to work on a Haiti trip. So I can't wait to go to Haiti with uh, Captain Mack and all those crew. And, and I'm really just letting you guys know um, that it is available and possible anytime you want to go. Don't wait for us to announce a trip. What I'm waiting for you to do is say, I think God wants me to go to Haiti. And then we talk <clears throat> and we put it together. And even if it's just you and Al or you and me or Destiny can run trips, it's like whoever. It is one of the most life-changing things that you'll ever be a part of. And it's phenomenal. And it's not because we're going to help the poor Haitians. In fact, it's almost the opposite. When we go there, it's like they're helping the poor overworked, overburdened Americans. They're going to teach you how to really worship. And uh, Zane, I'm still waiting for you, bro. You want to worship and go, you, hey, will he be able, he'll be in a Haitian mosh pit every night, dude. I'm telling you, man, we will be, you'll be bande, bande, ooh, you'll be worshiping in Creole, brother. Just make it, you want to do it, let's do it. So anytime you want to go, let me know. Okay, is that clear? You don't have to make it, wait for an official, uh, yeah, that's your official invitation right there. We can make it happen, and it's awesome. Uh, I can give you more details later. Um, so in this, uh, uh, this is a very important piece of paper for me. And if you could see <coughs> on this paper, there's uh, something written. It's 2796, and that's the date, February 7th, uh, 1996. And there's $400 written on this. And for those of you who don't know what this is, there used to be these things before the Internet called magazines. And um, I don't know, I think they might still have them, I don't know, but this was a surfer magazine and this was the design forum. And so this was like 1996 and um, I really hadn't surfed uh, prior. I took like, when I got saved in 1988, the beginning of 1988 was probably the last time I'd surfed and I'd surfed my whole life, but I got saved and it wasn't the surfing was you know, illegal or you know, against the Bible or anything. I just had, I got busy. I got busy figuring out who God is, developing a relationship with God. One, next thing I know, I'm in seminary. Next thing I know, I'm married. Next thing I know, I'm in a ministry in a church. And it's 1996, and I hadn't surfed for, I guess, nine years, something like that. And um, for those of you who surf, you know, that's kind of, there's got to be something pretty important that takes you away from that. 
for that long of a time. And I didn't even miss it at the time. But I do remember we're in Orlando, and I'm landlocked right there in Orlando. Orlando isn't like it used to be where you could get to the beach in 30 minutes. Now you can't even get out of your neighborhood in 30 minutes in Orlando. But we were, we were in Orlando, and I remember going to a Winn-Dixie grocery store with my wife. We're shopping, and I'm walking by, and there's that whole magazine rack, and I saw Surfer Magazine. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I can't. And I look. I hadn't looked in nine years. Not that I was fighting it against. It's just I hadn't paid attention. And all of a sudden, there was something pulling me to that surfing magazine. And I, and, and I got it. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just looking. And I start looking, and I come to this page. I came to this page. And, 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 and I saw this particular surfboard right here. I don't even know why it stuck out. And, and I saw it. And anybody ever had that happen, man? <laughs> You're in the surf shop, wherever. But I saw it, and so I bought the magazine. And I'm like, all right, God, I know the stoke that comes with surfing. And sometimes when you surf, if you know real surfers, dude, they'll ditch their family, right, Gary? They'll ditch their family. Not that you did that. I'm just saying they'll ditch their family to go on a surf trip, right? You know? And I'm trying to, like, you know, keep everything in priority. And I'm like, I, I know all these things that can happen with the addiction of surfing. And that addiction is called stoke. And it just takes priority. Most good surfers have a job where if there's a swell, they have the ability to get off of work and not just watch it on the Internet. They have jobs like landscapers or something where you, you can just blow up. You quit your job and get another one after the swell's over if it's that good. I'm just saying it's got that addiction. And <clears throat> so when I saw this, I bought the magazine. And I'm just like, oh, I know what comes next. And I'm like... This is my first real idle temptation since I've been a born-again believer. I've been so immersed in the Bible and seminary and just staying busy doing all this stuff. And now this is my first, what am I going to do with this? And I grabbed the magazine, and I remember the next morning, and that was the 7th. The next morning I get up at 4 o'clock, I'm reading. That's when I get up to study, or at that time I did, now it's 5, but... I'm like, man, going through it, and that surf magazine's there on the table with the Bible, and I grab the surf magazine, and I'm like, and I really felt it was the Holy Spirit, and, I, and it was. Instead of the Bible, I grab the, the surf magazine, I open it up again to this page, and again to this surfboard, I saw it, and I was like, God, if you're calling me back into surfing, I've surrendered, I've given it up for you, and he was almost like he said, I don't want you to give it up for me. Now I want you to use it for me. Before you used it for you, before you used it for status, you used it for all these different things, your own pleasure, but I want you to use it for me. And I'm just like, how can I use surfing? God, you've never obviously surfed and had stoke. You don't understand. And he's like, I understand it all. I want you to use it for me. And I said, all right, God. I said, this board, and by the way, it was a 7-2 stingfish from quiet flight, okay? And so I was a little, I hadn't surfed in nine years, so I needed some foam, you know, and, and, and it just looked like the perfect board, and it was $400. They had them in stock, they had them there, and it was $400, and now as just, we, that wasn't in our budget. There wasn't $400. If I would've told my wife, you know, JJ comes home and says, hey, I need $400 for, well, as a wife, you're just like, what? <laughs> no, you know, sell something, do something, whatever. But I needed $400. So I said, all right, God, if this is from you, if this is from you, you've got to provide this in a way that I know this is from you. And so starting, that's what this was. That's why I wrote 2-7, uh, February 7, 1996, $400. And I started praying for $400 that day. 
Uh, and every time I started lusting after surfing again, I didn't even buy any videos. I, back then would have been VHS. I didn't buy any, anything. I didn't start watching. All I did was every time I started lusting or desiring, thinking about surfing, I turned it back into a prayer. And I said, God, if you want me to surf again, I need you to provide $400 for this board. And God, it's got to be in a way. And I prayed and within two weeks. Listen to this. Within two weeks, I was a youth pastor at a, bit, at a large church in Orlando at the time. And I hadn't mentioned this to anybody because I wasn't trying to, I don't want to force God's hand. I don't want to like, oh, it was the Holy Spirit, but I sure advertised it. You know, that's, that's not where I wanted to be. I didn't tell anybody. And I had somebody come up to me and they're like, they're like, man, you know, this is kind of weird. It's going to sound kind of weird to you. And I said, go ahead. And they're like, God told us to give you this check. Okay, and I was like, okay, is it for like the youth? Is it for, we were going to Trinidad time. We were building something. Is it for Trinidad? Is it for this? They're like, no, no, it's for you personally. And I was like, oh, okay. And I said, any other instructions? They said, well, it was a very specific amount, and God told us to give it to you to buy something you normally couldn't buy. And I was like, okay. And I didn't even open it because I didn't want to be distracted. I had ministry to do. I got home that day and I opened up the envelope and there was a check for guess what? $400. Now we had bills at the time. We could have used it for a lot of stuff, but I made it real clear to my wife. Here's how they gave me the check. And this is what they said. Now you don't want to violate God's principles and spend it on bills. Do you? <laughs> Now, of course, we both knew that would have been the responsible thing to do, but, but who would have guessed of where that was going to end? And so I couldn't wait. I went down to Quiet Flight over in Cocoa Beach, and I bought the board. Uh, actually, yeah, I bought it at Cocoa, not New Smyrna. I went down there and bought it there, and I had surfed in nine years, man, and I couldn't wait. I took it out to, uh, uh, man, 16th Street or somewhere right up in there. They said, oh, there's a little swell, and I'll never forget. I paddled out, and I was so dejected, Tom, I couldn't even get out. And like two foot chop because I had surfed and so long. I said, I got a long way to go. But I knew now God wanted me to do this. And so I started doing it. And, 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 and I became a weekend warrior in Orlando. In fact, every Friday we were off and we went, a whole family. And Ashley was the first one to go to school. So she got ripped off. We'd come all home sunburned and covered with sand and pick her up at school. And she'd be like, yeah, really? <laughs> and, 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 and we'd go, and then every Saturday I worked it out where every kid in my youth group who wanted to learn how to surf could be at my house at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we would go to New Smyrna, and I would teach them how to surf, and we would all surf all day and then come back home Saturday afternoon. And that ended up, after eight and a half years, we had six, seven, eight carloads of kids because those kids who first started now, they, um, they now got learned how to drive, and now they were teaching people, and they had carloads. We got involved with a ministry called Crosswaves, where the cross comes before the wave, and we would have these different pro-Christian surfers. They would come, and they would uh, you know, help do surf lessons. We gave free surf lessons, and people would come from six, seven counties to come to Bethune Beach at New Smyrna. We'd have Christian bands. We would preach. We'd have barbecues, man. A couple hundred people or so, sometimes even up to 600 and so I know New Smyrna now as a local New Smyrna probably didn't care for that too much. But, you know, they're used to all the Orlando people coming. And so, man, we had ministry, hundreds of people getting saved and all these things happening. came here. God moved me here uh, 17 years ago. We had Christian surfers. We had Bible studies on the beach. Man, we've had so many people that we've gotten to minister to through it. Uh, we got Beach Day Monday tomorrow, guys. 
Anybody coming ready for Beach Day Monday? And for those of you who have to work tomorrow, we're sorry, but we can do something on Saturday with you guys. But you're going to be there, Rory? Yeah, I took it off. Oh, you took the day off? Awesome, man. What a spiritual thing to do, bro. And, uh, so, uh, <coughs> we now have a trailer to handle all the paddle boards that God has provided and the surfboards and the boogie boards and the life vests and the tents and everything to be able, God's provided a way. I think of this right here where I sat down at that table and I was like, God, I don't want to do this because I know the addiction. I know. And he said, I want you to do it for me. And I made the commitment at that day. I said, God, if you provide this $400 for this board in a way I know that's supposed to be for that, God, I promise you that when I go out in that water, I will do it for the purpose of making disciples. And it so it blows me away, the trailer we just got. And I'm going to build racks later today to put everything in there and the ministry. And we have a boat, dude, that God gave us a boat. You guys want to go out on the boat? We can go out on the boat. We, we go out and we minister. And we, I am so honored and blessed to pastor a church that loves water. Where, dude, we want to go out. We go out in the mangroves. We go out on the sandbars. We go out on the beach and we hang out and do life together. Who would have thought on that coffee table in Orlando, Orlando, when I'm praying for 400 bucks, that it would end up being able to pastor a church on the beach? Where the wall, the glass wall on the east side, so if you get tired of looking at me, for those of you sitting over there, here's the trick. You get tired of looking at me, these folks look out there, all right? <laughs> but it, what I'm saying is, is that no matter what you do, you do it wholeheartedly and you do it for the Lord. And we've got to be careful of why we're doing things because is there still a temptation that all these things all these toys all these events can now take precedence over christ you bet there is and so today what we're looking at as we start chapter 19 in the book of acts is we're looking at um really disciples we're looking at some people who were disciples but they weren't disciples of christ they were sincere but they weren't sincere about the right thing and so my question to you, it's a question that I have to ask myself regularly as I'm loading paddle boards, as I'm going out paddling, surfing, dawn patrol. Terry, Terry, we just got another, another young convert here. Um, he's out every morning now surfing, right? Uh, got, you still got our, uh, one of the boards, right? Yeah, okay, so you got to bring that tomorrow because we got to shove some kids on. Now that you know that board, you're going to be a surf instructor. Give, yeah, we got, we, dude, within the last three weeks, we got some new people that have never surfed before, and now they are. You know, tomorrow, I can't wait to see what happens in all of this. But I've always got to ask myself, whose disciple am I? Am I, dis am I a disciple of surfing? Because here's the fact in this. Everyone's a disciple of someone or something. Everyone's a disciple of someone or something. Am I a disciple of surfing? Am I a disciple of paddleboarding? Am I a disciple of the boat? Am I a disciple of Christ? Or am I simply using all these things for Christ? Is Christ the main reason for whatever I do? For whatever you do. Zane's in the construction industry with Roger. Man, you're out there. Is it just for a paycheck? Is it just to get a building done? Is it just, no, it's for Christ. And if you're a disciple of Christ, you realize that's where he's got you. That's where the master's Put the lampstand, and you understand that's where your purpose is. Rory is here temporarily uh, CAD designing bathrooms for yachts. Have you upgraded up to bedrooms and stuff now? Or? Oh, the, the clean one. 
Oh, clean water, not dirty water. Oh, the way to go, bro. Progress is direction, not speed, man. So he, he's here temporarily from Michigan, caddying out. You know, you guys moved here, right? Still trying to figure out what to do in Florida. Well, we're fixing to show you, man. You know? Uh, Mia, you got a business where you're selling furniture. And, and, and it's not about the furniture. It's not about the location. It's not about the job. It's all about who? Jesus. It's about Jesus. If we're a disciple of Christ, it doesn't mean we have to sit in a closet on our knees, always praying, always reading our Bible. Now, do we need to do that? Absolutely, we need to do that. But what he left us behind for is to take it out of the closet, take it out of the house, to basically the, the Great Commission says, as you are going, it says, go therefore into all the world, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've taught you. But what that means is as you are going, as you're going to the grocery store, as you are going to the place where you're going to eat in about three hours when I'm done, as you're, not really, I'll be done here. There's a clock right back there. And I am trying, but dude, I can only go as far as the Holy Spirit lets me on that. All right, now you'll know what the clock is. But man, as you're going, he said, make disciples. So what in the world is a disciple? He goes on and says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I taught you. So you know what a disciple is? It's someone that you are teaching all the things he's taught you. Now, technically, this Greek word in, uh, of disciple, the way it worked back in that culture was, all of a sudden, Roger is the safety expert OSHA guru on every construction site, commercial construction site, in, in, you know, for the air conditioning in the Tri-County area. So anybody who wanted to be like him would line up underneath him. They would be his disciple. And they would hang on every word he said, everything he did. And they would know everything there was to know about OSHA safety and air conditioning on commercial building projects, right? right. And, and, and now Roger's not just taking everybody in. He's only going to take you in if you're going to kind of pay attention, if you're going to you know, be able to do it. And that's the way the teacher discipleship thing worked. You got invited by a teacher that saw some potential and said, yeah, I think, okay, you have a desire. You have a, I'll, I'll train you. I'll teach you. But you got to listen. So you listen and you obey. And if at any point you keep you, you blow it off, you're not interested. Usually what happened is the disciple maker would the teacher would kick you out and find a new one that would pay attention. So, again, we don't lose our salvation and, and we're going to go and cover all that. But the point is, as a disciple of Christ is someone who says that, all right, I'm going to surrender everything I know about myself to everything I know about Christ at this point in time, and my life is now dedicated to following Christ. So does that mean I have to change occupations? I can't be in real estate anymore, Tom? No, it means now that I'm in real estate, I realize every encounter is a divine encounter. Does that mean I have to go get a new job and I can't stay out in 98 degrees in the shade working on boats there? Is that what it, is that what it means? No, it means now when I'm out there, dude, I'm figuring out what God wants me to do out there. You know, I'm doing it for him. Does that mean I can't surf? No, it means when I'm surfing, I'm doing it for him. And so everyone's a disciple of someone or something. Everyone is, is, is under some, I'm kind of that uh, obsessive, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm OCD, I'm kind of, like when I get into something, I get into it all the way. I got into diving, now my whole office is nothing but, dude, it's everything you would ever need for diving. It's there. 
My garage is everything you'd ever need for surfing. I've got fishing rod. You were asking me earlier, well, what do you fish for? I'm like, whatever's biting, bro. I got a rod for whatever fishing situation you might want to be involved in. And I may not have used it in a while, but when the opportunity comes, I am ready to go. You know? But you got to be careful that whatever you're doing, you're doing it for Christ. And you're not just doing it for that. Everyone's a disciple of something. So what is it that you're following? Are you following the hobby? Are you following the new lifestyle here? Are you following this lifestyle? Are you following this job? What is the real meaning behind your life? Is it Christ? Or is it what you're doing? And it's not real hard to get wrapped up in all of that. Think about priorities biblically. There's, the, there's God. There's your family. And there's your job. Is it, real, is it hard to get those things turned upside down? Not at all, man, because what squeaks the loudest between God, your family, and your job? Your job. You're there every day, and all of a sudden, job can be priority, and then your family's left holding the bag, right? So they start screaming a little bit, and God just whispering in the background saying, well, when you get tired of living for yourself, come back to me, and I'll, I'll get you straight. And you know that when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything we need is added unto us. You know when you make him a priority, he gets everything else to work out. So everyone's a disciple of someone or something. Look at this in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It happened while, while Apollos, which I think Seth preached on last week. So Apollos was at Corinth, okay? He passed through, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Anybody heard of the book of Ephesians? Okay, that's what it's all about. It's kind of like a letter to them and everything. And, but this is where he really planted the church in Ephesus. In fact, he had already been through Ephesus and promised that he was going to come back and visit. But this is where the church plant in Ephesus really came about. So the book of Ephesians explains a lot of this. And so he came to this uh, place in Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. Okay, so what does that mean? You know, he found some disciples. What it meant is he found some people who had dedicated themselves to a system or to a teacher. But it doesn't mean that they were dedicated to Christ. Now, some people take this, and they, there's some other things that they do with this, and say, and in fact, many scholars argue, well, these disciples, they only use that word for this, and blah, 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 and they don't. But, but I believe that they found some people who were dedicated to something, but it wasn't Christ. And the point I want to make is we can be a disciple of a lot of things. Zane, you hire some new young guy, man, air conditioning. There's some new system of air conditioning getting ready to happen. It's already happening. You need guys that you can get in there and you can train. And now they become a disciple of this new air conditioning system, right? You know, you can be a disciple of anything. But we've got to make sure that we're first and foremost a disciple of Christ. So these guys were disciples. So let's find out what they were disciples of. A disciple just means somebody who's put themselves under the authority of somebody to be trained, to learn some system, whatever. Whatever it is, they're following. They're following. They're a follower. That's what a disciple is in that. And make sure you're following Christ. Look who these guys were following. These were disciples of John. Um, Acts 19, verse 2 through 4. Look what it says. And he said to them, uh, and it's interesting that he used it this way. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So let me ask a question. Were they saved or were they not? Well, scholars argue whatever in all of this, but that's, it was interesting that he asked that question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because let me ask you a question. When people believe in Christ, Roger, when you believed in Christ, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? 
right then and there, exactly. And he's, you received all of the Holy Spirit there is to receive, but he hasn't received all of you yet, has he? No. You have all of the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't have all of you. And as you surrender the flesh, as you crucify the flesh, as you choose the spirit over the flesh, the manifestations become greater, don't they, Zane? If you stay in the flesh, you stay in the flesh, you do what you want to do, God's like, okay, you're going to do it or I'm going to do it. Go ahead. <laughs> Let me know when you're done doing it. Let me know when you want to live for me. Let me know when you can be trusted to have me do supernatural things for you and I get all the glory. As opposed to, and you're doing accomplishing what I want to have accomplished. So he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So in this, he said, well, then into what were you baptized? In other words, so now we find out what they were a disciple of. So what were you baptized into? Well, I was baptized into surfing. I was baptized into paddleboarding. No, I was, they said, we were baptized into John's baptism. Okay. And John's baptism, he's even going to tell us what the purpose of John's baptism was in the next verse. Paul said, well, John's baptized with the baptism of repentance. And so we talked about repentance. What does the word repentance mean? To turn around. So when John came on the scene, they were going in a particular religious direction. They had not had any guidance from prophets or especially the Holy Spirit or anybody. No new revelation from God in 400 years. Nothing, and that's, and that's how he spoke to them was through prophets and, 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 and certain people that he anointed at that point. And, and they were going, and they were going in a religious direction, and Jesus said their religious direction was the wrong direction. It was not the right direction, and the whole, whole purpose of John the Baptist was to say, I want you to turn around, and I want you to come towards Christ. Now, the way you come towards Christ is you come towards John the Baptist. But when they reached John the Baptist, John the Baptist basically said, there's going to be one that comes after me that's not going to just baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, he says, when you receive power, you're going to, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive power to be witnesses here, there, and everywhere. And a witness is somebody that can just simply testify of who God is through their everyday life. So he says, he says so when you hit John the Baptist, that's not the end of the road. There's still Jesus, but... That's what they're starting to encounter. They encountered Apollos last week. Did Apollos get, have it all down? Apollos was preaching his heart out, and the lady, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, took him aside and said, hey, listen, man, there's a little more to it than what you got. A little more to it than what you guys got. And he explained who Jesus was and how Jesus was the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now you got Jesus living in you. When you surrender to Jesus, you have eternal life. It's not doesn't end with John's baptism. Said so John baptized with what? Repentance. He was just telling people what you got isn't enough. You, what you, where you're going is wrong. Come to, come to me. And then look what it says: telling the people to believe in the one who was what? To come after, to come after him. So here they are. They're running down the Pharisees' religious road. And John the Baptist says, repent! And they said, what? He said, repent! And they come back to John the Baptist. He said, hey, I'm going to introduce you to the one who's the Messiah. I'm going to introduce So many of them, all they got was John. And now these guys are going around saying, we got to go past John. We need to get to Jesus. And when you get to Jesus, you now have the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus. And so he says, the one is to come after him. That is, and who does he tell him to come to? Jesus. He doesn't tell them how to have a second filling with the Holy Spirit, which is how some take this. And I'm not getting into that. There's plenty of churches that have that persuasion. 
and, and that's not where we're at. But in this, what he's telling them to do is come the rest of the way. Go past repentance and come to Jesus. Surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about Christ. He brings them to Jesus is who he brings them to. And that's all we do is bring people to Jesus. But we got to be there ourselves. So they were disciples of John. It's pretty clear in that. They're disciples of John. Who were you baptized under? You know, but he starts with the question, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And, um, you know, and so he's talking to the Ephesian people. So listen to what Ephesians says. Roger, you said when you got saved, you received what? Yes, you got the Holy Spirit when you got saved. Well, I'm going to show you that in Ephesians right here. All right? This is Ephesians, which is written to the people who he's dealing with in the book of Acts right now. So watch this. Paul says to the Ephesian church, God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. So you remember in Acts chapter 2, there was Pentecost, right? Okay? Acts chapter 2, you know, uh, there was a display. So God's purpose with the Jews, we were the first to trust in Christ who would bring praise and glory to God. So they were the first ones to get saved. But what happened in Acts chapter 10 with Peter and Cornelius and all of that? Up to that point, the Jews thought they were the only ones to get saved, right? They thought it was it. And God, Peter's like hanging out at Cornelius' house, and there's this sheet coming down with like crawfish and lobster and, and catfish. Now, you don't have a problem with that, do you, Mama? It is because of Acts chapter 10. If you were prior to Acts chapter 10, you'd be like, no, and definitely don't have any pork on there. No ribs for me. You ever said that? No ribs for me? No, not if your son cooked them. But here they are. No, you know, and, and, and Peter's like, get that stuff away from me. That's wretched. That's terrible. And God said, who are you to say something's bad if I said it's good? Peter's like, well, you always said it's bad. He said, yeah, I know, but now I'm saying it's good. And he said, you're now going to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so there was another little mini Pentecost in Acts chapter 10 when, it was, when they had uh, the Gentiles now were getting saved. Now they're in Turkey. Now they're in, in, in Europe and in Turkey. They're in that area. And, and the church is get, being built there. And there's going to be another little mini Pentecost there to unify the church and bring everybody together to say this is the real deal. And these signs and wonders mostly in this particular context were there because they didn't have a completed word. Do I have to do a miracle right now, Carl, for you to know that what I'm preaching from here is true? No, they needed it because they didn't have the word of God to confirm it. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't do miracles. I'm not saying he doesn't do signs and wonders. But what I'm saying is if, you, if I say it from his word, you say it from his word, you know it's true because that's his word. God gets to manifest things in any way he wants, whenever he wants. And if he's the Lord, it's his choice in all of that. It's not mine. So he says, God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust Christ would be bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, he's talking to the Ephesians, have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you too, just like us Jews. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you what? The Holy the Holy, when did he do that? And when you what? When you believe, you got the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us an inheritance he promised. That's that inheritance we talked about in the, in the book of Hebrews as we preached through that. The guarantee that he will give you the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him just the same way the Jews did. 
uh, the Holy Spirit's referred to in the New Testament also as a down payment, as an earnest payment, a down payment. Do you know that when you are walking in the Spirit, that's a little piece of heaven? And isn't it awesome when you're walking in the Spirit? But, but how come we don't do that perfectly? What gets in the way? Our flesh gets in the way. Now, I'm just going to go on and say a little something here. We like to blame it on the devil. <laughs> Don't we like to blame it on the devil? And we want to get rid of the devil. I'm going to tell you probably in my experience of 20-something years of pastor, if I were to take people's problems, including my own, and, and categorize them with the three enemies we have. Now, we do have the devil as an enemy. We have this world system as an enemy. And we have our flesh as an enemy. Do you agree with that? That's what scripture teaches us there. I would be willing to bet that 85% of the problems we have are our flesh. <laughs> did not Paul even say, I war with it. I do what I don't want to do. I did it again. Anybody done that this week? Anybody go, ah, I can't believe I didn't do that. Or I did this. That's our flesh. The devil didn't help you do it. Or as Geraldine used to say. Anybody remember Geraldine on Flip Wilson show? Are y'all old enough for that? You guys definitely aren't. You have to Google it and see if it's, if it's not politically correct, they've probably taken it off because they're rewriting history now. You know that, right? All right, so, Geraldine, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. It was your flesh. You desired it. You did it. And I'm just telling you, 85% of the time, I, in my personal experience as a pastor, with me and everyone else, it's our flesh. It's our flesh. Why do we want to blame the devil? Because, boy, it's easier blaming the devil than it is me. And we live in this victim mentality world, don't we? If I'm a victim and I can't do anything about it, then it makes me feel a little better about what I just did. So you're going to see the devil get continually blamed for more and more stuff. But most of the time, I'm going to tell you it's your flesh. And the other enemy is our world system. So we have a world system here egging us on. Do it that way. Do it. You're crazy. You can't do it God's way. Gary, you ever had devil? You ever had the world system? You ever had the devil? You ever had your flesh? Tell you, you can't do it God's way. I'll this this morning. Yeah, right now as you're listening to me, I'm not going to endure it for three more hours. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Seriously, man, you'll be saying it. Through. But literally, that's, that's, that's it. The world system's always telling us you can't do it God's way. So the only way we can overcome the flesh and the world system and the lies of the devil is by being in God's word, having that knowledge and having the Holy Spirit apply it to our lives and giving us the power and giving us the, helping us understand we have the presence of God and seeing it from his perspective and doing it that right way. So he said, the spirit of God's guarantee that we will give, uh, that he will give the, us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. In other words, so... Anytime, like I said, you're walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you is a down payment. It's a little teeny taste. A little teeny taste. You ever go, remember when you used to go through the mall and Chick-fil-A and the little Chinese place? Zane, you probably were there. Man, you know, the little Chinese place. They would have a little tray. And they would, give, they would come up and you're starving because you're with your kids and your wife and they're shopping and you don't really like shopping. There's no guy stores in the mall and you're with them and you're suffering for Jesus. And, 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 they, and what do they offer you on that plate? A little taste. And you taste it and you're just like, oh, I want more. Oh, I want more. And that's what the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit should be for us, man. I want more. I can't wait to be in heaven where it's going to be all Jesus and no me. There's no more flesh. I will never have the opportunity or even the equipment to ever get in trouble again. How many of y'all are going to dig that? Yeah. 
Isn't that awesome? So he said, Holy Spirit, man, you got that when you got saved, and it's a down payment, man. It, it's, a, uh, a, it's a guarantee that it's a guarantee of, of all of that. Look what he goes on and he says in Romans, uh, when he was writing to the Romans 8, 9, 10, 11. He said, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Now, again, we know that when we get saved, okay, we've got our flesh nature, but when we get saved, we now have a spiritual nature. And whichever one we feed is the one we're going to act like and be like and feel like. And to do, if we do nothing, our flesh nature is going to grow. And it's going to grow like wildfire, right, Roger? Yeah, but if we feed our spiritual nature, that flesh nature shrinks and the spiritual nature grows. And he says, so you're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God. Now look at the parentheses here. And remember that, go ahead and read that with me, those who do not have... So these guys who didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit, these guys who didn't have the Spirit living, they were just disciples. They were disciples of John. They were disciples of whoever. And so now, if you meet someone who is not a disciple of Christ, why did God put you in this? Hey, Al, you meet someone who's not a disciple of Christ, what did God put you in their life to help them become? A disciple of Christ. That does not mean we beat them over the head. That does not mean we put them in a holy headlock, that we touch the back of their knees and get them to kneel because it's a more effective position to pray as you're getting ready to punch them with the gospel, right? Now, that's not what that means. You're, do, you're helping them see life from God's perspective because you see it that way. And whatever way God gives you, whatever manifestation he wants to make, but understand your purpose is to help them see life from God's perspective so that maybe, if the Holy Spirit wants to at that point, if it's the time for them, because again, you can't save anybody. How many of y'all remember when you got saved? Did somebody have to punch you, man? Gary, did you get, well, <laughs> did, <laughs> but the day when you signed on the dotted line, were you willing? Every bit, yeah. It was like, yes, you had a desire you couldn't refuse at that point. And you'd refused it plenty before, but you were so ready because the Holy Spirit had you ready in all of that. What a privilege it is just to be a witness for him. Be able to tell others what he's done for us. To be able to be used in that way. He said, so you're, and remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them, they don't belong to him at all. These guys are disciples of John that need to become disciples of Christ. So what do you think Paul's getting ready to do with them? What do you think Paul's getting ready to do? He's going to teach them about Christ, right? Um, oh, and the rest of that Romans and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. We're preaching on Romans later, but um, bottom line is your body's going to die. That's the flesh. The spirit's what's going to be carried into heaven. The spirit is is basically the part that keeps living in you. That's your guarantee into heaven. But we'll, we can talk about that another day. Let me um, let me get into this next part of Acts. Disciples of Christ. That's what Paul's looking to take them to. And this is the last set of verses here. On hearing this, okay, so what did he hear? He heard their disciples. They don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. So what do you do? <laughs> you tell them about Christ. I can remember um, back when I first learned to share my faith. There, anybody ever remember something called Evangelism Explosion? Oh, yeah. It was by um, a dude, D. James Kennedy, a Presbyterian guy down in Fort Lauderdale at the time, I want to say. He was down there. And... And basically, he just came up with a way. And again, I'm not into canned presentations. I think you are a witness. You share what God has done for you. 
but it's okay to have some form of an outline, something. And I remember there were a couple of valuable questions that they used in Evangelism Explosion. And um, like you guys, you guys go share the gospel at the flea market. You share the gospel. You share the gospel. Where do you share the gospel? Where don't you share the gospel? Everywhere you go. Amen. Yeah, looking for people. But you have a way you do it and so on. And so D. James Kennedy had these two questions that were very good diagnostic questions to help you figure out whether you need to share the gospel with somebody. And so the first question was, you, I come up to Roger, and I wouldn't hit him with this right away, but at some point in the conversation, if God opened up, I'd say, so Roger, man, if you died right now, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And he'd be like, wow, that's pretty pointed, right, Sam? If you died right now, Sam, are you thinking about dying right now? No, not in about another hour when your stomach's gurgling, you'd be like, oh, I'm dying. No, but, but, but literally, uh, you know, you're not thinking about dying. Nobody is. So if you're not thinking about dying, why would you be thinking about eternity, where you're going, what you're doing, and so on? So he said, if, you're, if you were to die right now, and then the next part would be, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? And there's many people in this world that aren't sure that they're going to heaven. They don't even know that you can know. And when 1 John 5.13 says that he's given us the word, what he's taught us is so that we can know we have eternal life. That's the purpose of it. So are you 100% sure that if you died right now, if you died right now, are you 100% sure that you go to heaven? And, and a lot of people nowadays don't even really believe there's a heaven or whatever. We've been so mixed with so many different theologies and religions that there's all kinds of things. There's annihilation or whatever. So it's a very poignant question. If you died right now, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And so what would you answer? I don't want to need you to answer out loud, but answer inside right now. Because those are some pretty distinct things. So if somebody said no, I would then come back and I'd say, well, man, let me, you know, did you know that you could be sure? And can I show you? And I would be able to show them the gospel, how they could know for sure if they died, they're going to heaven. But if somebody said, yes, absolutely, I'm going to heaven, I would ask the next question. And the next question is interesting because it says, if you did die and stand before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And that's where I heard a lot of interesting answers. Well, I'll have you know I'm a Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim with a Jehovah Witness twist. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm literally, I mean, I'm just saying. Or my grandmother and her great-grandmother and my grandfather, they planted that church and our name's written there and we've been there forever. Like, okay. And again, I'd hear all these answers. But what's the only correct answer? If you were to die today and stand before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What is the only correct answer when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but through me. What's the only correct answer? Jesus. Yeah. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I've given my life to Christ. So if anyone would answer any other way at that point, it'd be like, well, man, can I show you what the word of God says? Because the only way we can get to heaven is through the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through Christ. It's very exclusive. So look what he says on hearing this. They were baptized in the name of who? So John wasn't good enough? Was John correct? Should they have gotten baptized by John? Yes. Yeah, when they were going down the wrong road and he said, repent, boom, John said, listen to this one that I'm going to introduce you to. And they never got to meet him. But now through Paul, they were going to get to meet him. And now they could listen and they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And what that name means is everything Jesus stands for. Do you think Paul had a good, could, could explain to them what Jesus was? And everything he stood for. And that's when they were baptized. So what is baptism? Are you saved by baptism? No. You're saved by surrendering yourself to Christ. And 
and accepting what, believing what he did on the cross pays for your sins. Baptism, again, we talk about it a lot. And if you want to get baptized right afterwards, we can do it right there. But when you stand in the water, Rory, what does that look like? A cross thing. What did you say? Yeah, dude, get off CAD right now, man. I'm just like, yeah, it looks like a cross. And when I, when I take you under the water, that represents Jesus' death and burial. But what happened to Jesus on the third day? He rose again. So you're identifying with that. And if you get baptized, what happens is I take you under the water. And what that represents is you dying to your old life. Saying, I'm no longer the boss. I'm done living in my own power, in the flesh. And as best I can, I'm following him the rest of the days of my life. And so I bring you back up again, and that represents that now you're going to live in the power of his resurrection with him as, as Lord and Savior. And so when they got baptized, it was just an outward profession of what their proclamation was in there. That, yeah, dude, I'm not living in the flesh anymore. I'm not living for me. I'm not going to try to earn my way to heaven. I'm now living in the power and resurrection of Christ right now. And that's what I'm counting on to take me to heaven and get me through the rest of this life and allow me to be an ambassador and represent him. So on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Then this is interesting because this is what happened at Pentecost. This is what happened in Acts 10 when the Gentiles got saved. And it was something that God used to confirm things when these guys got saved, when this whole air region was now being, um, uh, now getting ready to uh, have a church planted. It says the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So let me ask you a question. If I baptize you and lay hands on you and you don't start speaking in tongues and prophesying, is your baptism valid? Is your salvation valid? Yeah. This was something that was done at that point. Now, if God wants to do this, he can certainly do this. But that's not what this is about. They, they were living in the most demon-possessed. When you start looking at Ephesus, and we will look next week, and you're going to see some freaky things. There's some ladies with napkins, and they're letting it touch Paul, and they're thinking, oh, man, it's freaky next week. But in this, they're living in a demon-possessed place where God's, like, like in Egypt, had to kind of outdo the sorcerers, <laughs> if you will. You'll see this next week. So again, he's corroborating, he's testifying, he's bringing the church together, uniting the church by what he did in Jerusalem and in Samaria and to the outer ends of the earth, which is what it is said in Acts 1.8. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you will see power to be witnesses in Judea, which is Jerusalem, in Samaria, which is basically Acts 10, and the outer parts of the world, which is here. And so, anyway, so here's God's display that what I'm doing, this is me, man. It's proof. And it says there were about 12 men in all. Very quickly, he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So you see the disciple role there? These are no longer disciples of John, but are they, they're now disciples of who? Christ. Of Christ. But if you're not careful, you could become a disciple of Paul. In fact, what even happened later in Scripture with Apollos, as great as Apollos was, Apollos, his disciples started competing. Well, we're disciples of Apollos. No, we're disciples of Paul. We're disci You've got to make sure you're not a disciple of Driftwood. You're not a disciple of this church, this pastor, this situation. Because I guarantee you build your spirituality on another believer, on another person, on another pastor, on another church, they will let you down. I will let you down. Don't you dare build your spirituality on me. Man, if you could see my heart, if you could hear my thoughts, I'm as wicked and nasty and evil sinner as every stinking one of you. 
That's why I know you are too. But it's the word of God that washes me and cleanses me. And that's why I'm looking so forward to the day that I get to heaven and it's all gone. I have no more flesh to compete with. There is no perfect person. And you ever put anybody on a pedestal, man, I'm just telling you, the higher that pedestal, the farther they're going to fall when they do fall. And instead, of, and instead of leaving and getting upset when they fall, what are we supposed to do as believers when someone falls? We're supposed to be there to pick them up. And you know what? Your pastors, your ministers, the people you put on a pedestal need that exact same thing. Now, I'm not getting ready to confess anything big or anything like that. But I'm just saying, dude, we're all in the same boat, bro, just different seats in all of this. And if you're not careful, you can all of a sudden become a disciple of Paul, a disciple of, you know, as the old folks, Charles Stanley, or a disciple of Joel Olstein, or a disciple of whoever, dude. You're supposed to be a disciple of Christ. And that's where we're at. He entered the synagogue for three months. He spoke boldly, teaching them, come to me, support me, take care of me. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. No. Reasoning and persuading them about what? The king, Paul's kingdom? Yeah. How about the, the church network Paul's building? Paul, Paul of Tarsus Ministries. <laughs> no. The kingdom of God. And if who's the king of the kingdom of God? Yeah, so what he's doing, nothing more than for, well, how long? Three, three months? He's teaching them, guys, let God be your king. You want to know what to do? Ask God. He's your king. Do what he wants you to do. <coughs> he's reasoning and persuading him, showing how there's nobody better qualified to tell you what to do than the one that knows everything, the one that can do anything, and the one that's everywhere, which, by the way, we'll be talking about with the surfboard tomorrow. But when some became stubborn, <laughs> imagine that. Church people don't get stubborn, do they? <laughs> Anybody here ever been a stubborn church person? Come on, man. I'm glad y'all aren't that way now. We don't have any in this church. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, in other words, Paul's telling the truth. They're saying, no, we don't believe that. We, we're, this is as far as we go in believing what you're teaching us. Well, that's as far as you're going to go because Paul was speaking the truth. They continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. In other words, no, this is not the way it's supposed to happen. So guess what Paul did? He's had knocked down drag outs before, but look what he did this time. He realized that he wasn't going to cast pearls into swine. He realized they weren't getting it. They were only as far, they've gone as far as they're going to go. So he, what's the next word? Withdrew. And he took who? The ones who would follow. Instead of fighting with the ones that didn't want to follow, he took the ones that would follow to another place. And look where they went. He took the disciples, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Hey, so let me tell you about the hall of Tyrannus. There was this dude named Tyrannus, and he owned a hall. <laughs> you don't need to be a Bible scholar to know that. This dude was probably a teacher, probably a discipler himself. And Paul may have used it on the off hours when they were taking a nap, or he maybe rented it from, whatever. But he just said, hey, can we use your hall? Yeah. And they met, and they had class there. And he continued teaching the ones who wanted to learn in that. This continued for how long? Two years. So that, look at this, and, and again, um, this is not really all, but it's, 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 it's a, a, a figure of speech where there was hardly no one in that area over those two years that didn't hear about Christ. Look what he said. They continued for two years so that all the residents of where? Asia. Dude, 
all the residents of Asia, that's that area of Ephesus and Laodicea, the seven churches in Revelation, that whole area, that's Asia Minor. But even farther than that, all they heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, and, and the Asian people, man. <laughs> I wonder if there's any Christian Chinese recipes, man. <laughs> Anyways, I always think about food. So my question to you guys is this. Since everyone is a disciple of something or someone, Whose disciple are you? What consumes you? What is it that you're always thinking about? What is your motivation for everything you do? What is your, man, what drives you? What motivates you? What, what is that in, inside thing that's getting you? What, what's behind everything that you do? As a disciple of Christ, it needs to be Christ. We need to do all these different things in the world where he's got us. He moves the lampstand wherever he needs light. He moves it around. But what's got to be our motivation is Christ. Our message has to be right with the word of God. Our motivation has to be to glorify God. Our methods can be all kinds of different things as long as they don't go against scripture. But man, it's all got to be about him. What does he say in Matthew 6.33? You've heard me say it many times, but, and I'll say this on him, but he preached, Jesus preached a message. And I think it was the same message everywhere, Jim. It was the Sermon on the Mount. It was, you know, that's what he preached everywhere. I really believe wherever he went. And he told people, and they were trying to figure out, how do I get rid of two coats? How do I do this? He said, look, let me sum it up for you. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added unto you. Just do that. I'll give you all these details that you guys are arguing and figuring out. And that's what 1 Corinthians is about, 2 Corinthians. But, you know, Jesus was like telling these guys, just seek first. So let me ask you a question. How many of you ever lost a cell phone? This is the best, most relevant illustration for us today. Any of y'all, how many of y'all have lost or misplaced your cell phone in the recent past? John, you misplaced your cell phone? Yeah, and, and is that, and, and so, you know, when you guys misplaced your cell phone, you ever misplaced your cell phone? Yeah, like way down in the water. You're talking the toilet where you just got to reach in. No, I'm just, all right. <laughs> but when you misplace your cell phone, how many of y'all freak out and panic when you misplace your cell phone? You totally panic, don't you? You totally freak out. And now you have one focus in life. And what is that one focus in life? Finding your cell phone. You know what? That's probably the best definition I can give you for seeking. That's the best. When he says, seek first, seek always, seek only the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want you to think about that as if you've lost your cell phone. You are seeking him every moment of every day. And the more you do that, the more you walk in the spirit, the more, the more you know what he wants you to do, the more you realize his presence and his power that's available to you. And the more you do that, you don't get distracted by the things of this world. Seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. That's pretty much how Jesus described disciple. So who are you a disciple of? I want you to think about that. Father, I pray that if there's somebody here that's never surrendered themselves to Christ, um, that they would realize that they have sinned. There's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from you. And that's not what you intended. Because you gave us a solution. 
Father, if there's anyone here that's trusting anything other than Christ to get them to heaven, Father, I pray that you would show them that that is not going to work according to your word. You're in control, you're in charge, and there's no other way to come to you except through Christ. So, Father, I pray that um, if there's someone here trusting in anything other than Christ, that today they would, they would realize that's, that's a fallacy, it's wrong, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. What you want to give us is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What Christ did on the cross is sufficient payment. He was our substitute. He paid for our death penalty. He's giving us a pardon off of death row. And all we have to do is surrender all we know about ourselves, all we know about him at this point in time. Surrender our lives and he will cover it. I pray that you would give somebody the desire and ability to do that today if they've never done that. But for all of us, Father, that have, and we know we're your children, we know we're going to heaven when we die. Father, I pray in order to be more efficient disciples as we are left here to be ambassadors, to represent your kingdom, Father. I pray that we would crucify the flesh and we would feed the spirit. Father, I pray that we would seek you the way we seek a lost cell phone. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.